Welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I live in Seattle, and I basically consider it my hometown at this point. My co-host, Tiffany Parks, lives abroad in Rome. She's been there now for over 15 years. And this show began in Rome when I moved abroad and lived there for just one year, on Tiffany's street. But we go way back. I met her on the school bus in sixth grade. If you're curious about moving abroad, or currently live abroad, or maybe you just absolutely love Italy, or love contemplating and exploring the big themes of life, well, you've come to the right place. Don't be afraid to dig around in the archives, even as far back as episode one. We're on a journey here, and you will not regret it. Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week, I want to thank Jennifer and Christy. Thanks for supporting the show. If you love the show and you want to keep it going far into 2021, donate one time through our website at thebittersweetlife.net or join us on Patreon with a monthly donation and get bonus content. That's patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. There are links to both in the show notes. Thanks for being you, and thanks for supporting the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, by a special request from listener Michael, we will be talking about souvenirs. Yes. Are you excited about this, Tiffany? Um, yeah, I'm really interested in other people's souvenirs. I don't know that I have anything that anyone else would find interesting, uh, except for one thing that I acquired, which was not my souvenir, but is interesting. So, yeah. Okay. Are you a souvenir person? Do you collect things when you travel, Katie? Well, the interesting thing, I was just trying to figure that out in anticipation for this show. (laughs) I really do think I pick up things, but it's not usually something I go into a store and buy. It generally is something along the lines of a business card, a box of matches, the room key from a hotel. Although, to be honest, that's usually an accident. (laughs) I forget it. I forget to turn it in. And then I discover it. And I said, oh, yeah, that was a really nice time. And then I just put that little card key up somewhere. Or as you know, going around Rome, I'll pick up things like little acorns, bird feathers. Oh, my gosh, you and Aurelio. He comes home with his pockets full of little pieces of acorns and feathers and shells and everything anything he can fit in his pockets yes so it's really kind of detritus i mean you might remember we talked about on the show once that when i was in rome when i spent the year in rome living on the same street as you every ticket to any museum i went to postcards that were free at churches I picked up those things along the way and then put them all into a little notebook. And when I look at that notebook, it reminds me, oh, yeah, I went and saw that exhibit on such and such. Or, oh, I remember this painting from that church. That kind of stuff I actually like almost more than if I had bought a towel set or something, (laughs) you know, because it reminds me of specific things that happened. So it's almost like a scrapbook. Yeah, sort of, except more informal. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going out and buying stickers and laying it out really (laughs) nicely. (laughs) but I think those are the things I tend to get and I mean that's not to say that I don't have anything from trips but let's listen to one tape from a person first and then we'll talk a little more this is this first tape 
is from Scott. The one souvenir I have that sticks out in my mind is actually not one that I got from a place, but well, one that was brought to me. Uh, when I was in college, my friend Carrie went to San Francisco and uh, stayed somewhere near uh, Chinatown. I told her to bring me back a souvenir. I had absolutely no specifications on what she should bring or anything like that. And uh, she brought me this little purple Buddha statue. And at the time I was like, oh, cool, that's fun, thank you. And it just kind of sat on my shelf, sight unseen for a long time. Then after college, I moved into my first apartment by myself, alone for the first time, and a little uneasy, maybe a little scared. And I put the little purple Buddha by my bed table. And my light was on because I was reading at night before bed. And after I turned off my light, I realized that this purple Buddha glows in the dark, which is not something I knew for several years. And so this little like glow-in-the-dark purple Buddha made my first night in my first city apartment in Denver like feel homey and like it was mine. And everything was going to be okay. And so even though the souvenir wasn't from any place I've been to, it has brought me a lot of comfort and joy. And I appreciate my little purple Buddha. And even still today, he sits by my bed sort of protecting my slumber. That's nice. I like that. That's a sweet story. Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of what I was indicating prior, that sometimes you get these souvenirs, but they're from other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of my favorite souvenirs in my life have been brought to me by other people. And the one that springs to mind very vividly was when I was a second grader. Uh, I had just been in the play The King and I, and I was very into the color pink at the time. (laughs) And my parents took a trip to Thailand. And of course, left us behind (laughs) with staying with my grandparents. But when they came back, they brought me one of those little umbrellas, you know, little silk umbrellas that are hand painted with flowers and have fringe around the edges in this light pink color. Parasol. Yeah, parasol. Yeah. And as a little kid, I just thought it was the most beautiful and exotic thing that I had ever seen. Oh. Because not only was it pink, but it came from another country. Yeah. I would have gone nuts over something like that as a child. Exactly. So should we listen to another, or do you want to tell us the one thing that you got? No, no, I'll tell that a little bit later. But as far as what you were saying, souvenirs brought from other people, I have a thing about magnets on my fridge. I do collect magnets, which is a really sort of tacky souvenir to collect um, (laughs) because they're often made like in a different country. Yeah, from from where you're picking them up. Yeah, for sure. But unfortunately, I never was in this habit. I got into it halfway through my life. And now it's something like I have to do, like I have to get the magnet from the place. And sometimes people will buy, it's usually my sister-in-law will buy us a magnet when she travels. And I'm just like, why do I want a magnet from your trip? I didn't go on that trip. Why do I need a souvenir with something to remember it by? If you want to buy me something beautiful from that place, that makes sense. But like a magnet on a fridge from a place I've never been, (laughs) that I don't get. Not to be rude and ungrateful. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But I've seen your magnet collection and it is impressive when it's all together. Yeah, it's not bad because I also collect magnets from exhibits that I go to. Not every single one. I don't always get the magnet of the exhibit, but I like to. So I remember certain exhibits I've been to. Yes. And you also have a wide collection of Caravaggio magnets as well. Yes, (laughs) because I've been to a lot of Caravaggio (laughs) exhibits. There you go. Well, speaking of that, let's listen to another piece of tape. Okay. Hi, this is Amy. 
I'm originally from Chicago. I moved to Munich, Germany in 2019, right before the world changed in so many unprecedented ways. My souvenir story starts with one print and it ends with a collection, stuck in storage in Chicago. It was an Alexander Calder exhibition print to be exact, from the Tate, in one of my absolute favorite cities, London. My husband and I were browsing the museum store, as we like to do, when we stumbled upon it. We picked up the print as a souvenir of our time there. That one purchase spurred us to start a collection. So we stopped in more museum stores, and visited more galleries, slowly assembling works that showed the path of our travels, up and down and across our apartment walls. When we moved to Munich, we took everything down, put everything in boxes, placed the boxes in storage, and hoped to reclaim our collection sometime soon. But now, thanks to the pandemic, the boxes are still closed. The history of our travels locked up tight as we stay grounded here in Munich. We hope to be united with our collection and have the chance to add to it, thanks to more travels, sometime soon. I wrote to Amy after this and asked her if she was planning on staying in Germany uh, much longer. And, and she said that it's very up in the air right now about what's going to happen, but that they really do want to find a way to eventually get back to Chicago and not only see their friends and family, but rescue that collection so that they can actually have it in their lives rather than boxed up. Yeah, I really love that idea. I mean, if you think about it, like the art on your walls, you see that stuff so much. And to have art that not only reminds you of great trips, but is also, one would imagine, beautiful art. It's a nice way to combine decorating your home and also remembering your trips. So I love that idea. Yeah, and it's a little different than what you see in other people's homes where they often will put up portraits that they took of themselves while they were on a vacation. You see that a lot too. It's kind of an interesting artistic take on that. Yeah. I actually have quite a bit of art in my house that again, I did not buy myself. But as you know, I, in my 20s, I used to travel to Vietnam a lot with my father. I think we went seven times together. And over that time, I didn't have a lot of money at that point, but my father was very interested in the different arts that were going on in Vietnam. And so he would often buy pictures that you either hang on a wall or little figurines. And he usually bought them on a theme of some kind. <laughs> and so one year it was all cat oriented stuff. Another year it was all horse oriented stuff. <laughs> so I have some of these pictures that he picked up along the way or figurines that he picked up along the way. All right. Um, so let's listen to another one. Katie and Tiffany, this is Lewis in upstate New York. I'm not really a knick-knack person, so when I go to a new country, I get a book in the native language of wherever I am. I can't read them, but I think it's a pretty little reminder of where I've been. I started this tradition after I went to Italy, so I think I'm going to have to go back and get the Aeneid in Latin, or maybe Machiavelli's The Prince in Italian. Thank you. I think this is my favorite. I really love this one so much. Probably also because I'm a book collector, but I love this idea. Yes. So he did send a list of some of the books he had, which I, I'm i not even going to attempt because you know that my pronunciation of foreign names and languages are horrific. But you said you were bold enough to try. I will try. And if I make mistakes, well, you can forgive me for it. All right. So the Brennu Nials Saga from Iceland. Don Quixote from Spain, of course. And he adds, this is the only one of which I've read the English version. The Tale of Q from Vietnam and Vapor or Vapor from Puerto Rico. 
and journey to the West from China. That one's easy to say. And then he also asks you a question. He says, what is your opinion on what I should get when I get back to Italy? Yes, I think he needs to get La Comedia Divina, the Divine Comedy, or at least Inferno by Dante. I think that would be the perfect classic Italian book. Very nice. I like that. So Tiffany, a quick aside, I want to tell you about this book that I'm reading. Mm -hmm. It's not in the world yet. But it's available to our listeners on pre-order right now. Oh, There's a link in the show notes. But the book is called I Had No Idea You Were Black, Navigating Race on the Road to Leadership by Roland Crutcher. He is a very impressive person. Just the sheer amount of things that he knows and has done, not to mention his career as a leader of a university. Let me read you this paragraph of description just to get an idea of this author's life. Okay, during this time of intense polarization, which I think we can all agree we've been living through, Ronald Crutcher's life as a black leader, successfully bridging America's cultural divides, offers a compelling story with important lessons for today's thinkers. Born to two parents who never graduated high school, Dr. Crutcher grew up to become a leader at the highest levels of academia and in the arts. As a child musician, he met with Coretta Scott King, and as an adult educator, he sat at Maya Angelou's holiday table. Wow. Now, doesn't that description, that paragraph alone, make you want to get to know this guy? Yeah. Let me read you one other thing. So lately, also during this pandemic, when we can't really do much, I've been just starting to contemplate basically my career. <laughs> How are you spending your time? What do I want to be doing when this is over? I've been trying to start asking myself those questions. And I'm finding that reading this book during the period of time when I'm asking those questions is coming into an interesting intersection. Hmm. And one of the things jumped out at me that he writes, just because I was thinking this way, he writes, it is not necessary that every person feel intense passion for a job, but I believe we should all be able to answer the question, why do I do what I do? With some response other than for a fat paycheck or for the prestige. Mm. Good advice. Yeah, I just thought so simply put. And so that's one of the questions I now have on my list. Why do I do what I do? I feel like I could journal about that for many, many mornings. And I probably will. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so the book is I Had No Idea You Were Black, Navigating Race on the Road to Leadership. A very important book, I think, for the time we're living in right now. It's coming out on February 9th, but you can pre-order it right now. Just follow the link that's in our show notes. I highly recommend it. All right, back to souvenirs. I was going to ask another question before we listen to a couple more. What would you say if you had to pick, I can do this for Seattle too, but what would you say is the quintessential mm. Rome souvenir? That is hard because I'm so not a tourist here. So I, it's hard for me to even think what a tourist would buy. I have to think about my guests. What would be the stereotype? I mean... The hot priest calendar. Uh, I don't think that's a stereotype. I think that's something that like an expat would pick up. I bought the hot priest calendar back in the day. I mean, that I, guy on the cover, even though th that cover has been the same for that generations. Cover. <laughs> that guy on the cover was really cute. Very cute. <laughs> very, very cute. Well, what you get in Rome is you get a lot of very religious souvenirs. So you get the, the nativity scene figurines or you get the icons, like the religious icons, or rosaries. You have all of that sort of Catholic-themed souvenir shops. And then 
And then you've got your basic things that you can get anywhere. You see statuettes of the David, even though the David's not in Rome, but you see it in Rome, magnets of the Colosseum. But I guess what I also see is a lot of pasta, novelty pasta, like pasta in funny shapes. Yes, penis pasta. Penis pasta, pasta <laughs> shaped like the, the map of Italy. Or the aprons with, you know, the naked torso of the David on there. This is all really tacky stuff, though. I mean, if people want to go highbrow as far as uh, souvenirs, what a lot of people buy is uh, Murano glass. Of course, that's from Venice, but you can get it anywhere in Italy. And there are shops that sell the authentic stuff. So there's Murano glass or a lot of people will go for fashion Mm -hmm. if they really want to go highbrow. The thing is, if you buy a Prada handbag, well, you can get that anywhere in the world. Yeah. So I would suggest to people, go to a dressmaker or a tailor and have get yourself an Italian suit, a made of Italian wool fitted to you, or a silk dress, you know, something that is made by an actual Italian craftsperson. That to me would be like the ideal souvenir of Italy. One of the things I always love to buy when I'm there is, and I don't know what it's called, the kind of fancy stationary oh yes swirly that, that's from florence that's florentine and i love that too it's very pretty i'm trying to think like, there's nothing that's roman everything i'm thinking of i know the glass is from venice the limoncello is from the south the great tailors of italy are from naples the beautiful stationery is from florence what does Rome do? <laughs> no, I guess just the religious stuff. Yeah, maybe it is the religious stuff. There's probably something I'm just not thinking of it. A lot of people buy wine. Oh, here's something else that people buy. Again, it's not Roman, but it can come from anywhere in Italy. It's the, um, the ceramics. Mm. Italy has such beautiful ceramics, particularly Deruta, which is in Umbria, or there's some gorgeous Sicilian ceramics dishes, hand-painted. They're so beautiful. That, to me is another thing I would highly suggest. So when it comes to Seattle. <laughs> yes, tell me because I a little <laughs> space needle figurine. There's not as many options. <laughs> <laughs> what is Seattle known for? Uh, the space needle. You know, hey, I'm going to challenge you on this. Okay. Like me, you live there, so you don't see it from a tourist's eyes. I think something that tourists would buy would be smoked salmon. You know what they would buy? Starbucks coffee. Starbucks coffee. Well, again, that's something you can get anywhere, though. I know, but in Seattle, you can get it at the original store. Yeah. So what? It's still the same product. The line for the original store is sometimes all the way up the block. Let me tell you, if you're coming to Seattle, the coffee is exactly the same, and the original store does not look any different. It's the experience, Katie. It's the experience. It's the, I went to... The original Starbucks in Seattle. They want to say they've been there. It has nothing to do with the coffee. It's about saying that you've been there. Yes. And you get to see the original Starbucks logo, which is different than what we know today. But I would say that the number one souvenir in Seattle has got to be something Space Needle related. It's just got to be. I can't think of anything else that's more iconic to what people think of when they think of Seattle. I don't know. Is there some food product that is native to Seattle? I remember when I was in the States the last time, I went into a shop in the mall that had all like Washington State stuff to buy stuff for my family, but my in-laws and my husband here in Rome to get them Seattle-themed stuff. And I mean, of course, I brought back Market Spice Tea. You can be sure of that. Yes, your favorite tea here. (laughs) That was for myself. I hoarded it. I mean, 
yeah, you can go to a made in Washington store, but that was what it was. It was made in Washington store. Yes. Yeah. Is that what this tourist is looking for? They still sell Sleepless in Seattle t-shirts here. I can't believe that it's been 20 years. This is where we are frozen. <laughs> and you better believe that those Sleepless in Seattle shirts have a little space needle on them. Of course they do. <laughs> so anyway, well, let's move on. Speaking of Venice, let's listen to another piece of tape from one of our listeners. Hi, my name is Carolyn, and I just wanted to tell you a little story about a souvenir that I treasure today and um, cannot live without. Back in 2015, I recently graduated from college, and me and my roommate, we decided to go to Italy on a cruise. And it was pretty much the best decision of my life. (laughs) Um, This was the first time ever taking an international trip. This was the first time going to another country, not knowing the language too much, and being right in the culture and learning all about it. I have a very, very big Italian family, and Italy has always been one of those destinations that I always wanted to go to. I knew no matter what, this was going to be the best trip, hands down. Thank goodness my roommate knew fluent Italian, which made it so much easier. Um, (laughs) Me, on the other hand, um, didn't know too much, but actually my goal for 2021 is to try and learn a little bit more Italian. So, back in 2015, um, before we left... I knew I wanted to bring back a couple charms for a charm bracelet that I have. I've had this my whole life, and I really wanted to bring back some charms just to remember the amazing trip. So one of the places we went, probably my favorite, was Venice. We actually got to go to a glass blowing shop. We got to see all the makers, the artisans, all the beautiful different types of glasses and different colors. And I remember going into one of these shops and on this table, there were all these little charms of different bright colors. And I saw a beautiful little bright green and yellow heart, probably the size of a peanut. And I just knew right away that I really wanted to have this piece as one of my charms on my charm bracelet. And I'm so glad I did because every time I wear my bracelet and look at that, I just think of the amazing time that we had. I have, I say have because I still own it, although I want to say had because it's too small for me now. My father bought me a charm bracelet when I was a very little girl. And he went through a period in his career where he started traveling a lot. Either he didn't continue to travel or he went to the same two places all the time because I only ever got two charms for my charm bracelet. Mm -hmm. And I remember him telling me, we were little, we were like... I don't know, I was like seven or eight. I remember him telling me, every time I go on a trip, I'm going to buy you a charm for your charm bracelet. I was psyched, of course. And I still have mine. And actually, I've taken the charms off of it because the charm bracelet is so tiny, it doesn't fit me. But this is one of the only examples of a souvenir that someone brought me from their trip I truly cherish. Of course, partly because it's from my dad, but partly because it is so cool. So the first charm he bought me from Australia, and it's just a little kangaroo, but it's the other charm that I love. And my dad had a gift for buying jewelry. And you could say that after three wives and six daughters, this is a gift that served him well (laughs) during his life. Yes. (laughs) My mom used to always say that the jewelry that he bought her was so unusual Not the classic thing you would see, but always something very, very different. And he would seek out the the unusual stuff. And he bought me a charm from London. And what it was, what it is, because I still have it, it's a pound note, which even back in the 80s when he bought this, 
didn't exist anymore. Pound notes hadn't been in circulation for who knows how long. So it's a pound note and it is folded up so small, a square you could make with your forefinger and your thumb, a tiny little square. It's folded up so, so, so tiny and it's put into a little square glass box, a little square gold box with a little bit of tiny little layer of glass over the top. So you can see right where it says one pound. And the best part of this charm is that on the side of the little gold box are written the words, in case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> like in tiny, tiny, tiny letters that you would never see. And I've seen this because you wear it on a necklace sometimes. Mm-hmm. It is so small. I think that's what's really impressive for those of you who are trying to picture it in your head. It's very, very little. How a person would fold that and get it in the box so perfectly. Yeah. With the one pound showing. I know. It's just a real feat of engineering and creativity, really. Mm -hmm. Well, let's listen to our last listener submitted souvenir. Hi, Katie and Tiffany. This is Tyler from Missouri. I wanted to share my souvenir and it is a replication of a famous Russian icon from the 15th century, I think, by an artist named Andrei Rublev. I received it when I was having a long stay in Argentina before the pandemic struck last year. I was a volunteer helping to help in the expansion and construction of one of my religious community's monasteries in La Ferrere, which is a really poor city in the Buenos Aires area. And I think that I received it about the time Argentina first started its first very strict lockdown in March. And I took it with me home back to the United States through four airports in the midst of a once in a century pandemic. I see that icon every morning when I pray in my morning routine. I know that life before the pandemic wasn't a dream and that I really was able to be in another country. By that same token, life after the pandemic is going to be just as real. Hopefully it's still going to be just as possible for so many of us to make the dream a reality. And it also, of course, reminds me of, I got through it. <laughs> I got through traveling in, a, in that really stressful situation. That's Tyler with his 15th century icon that he brought from Argentina through the airport during a pandemic. Yeah, four airports. That's impressive. I wonder how big it is. Did he say how big it is? He did not say how big it is. Okay. Was he carrying something that was 16 by 16? Or was he carrying something that fit in his pocket? Hard to know. But either way, that it sort of marks this, not only the interesting time he was having prior in helping expand a monastery, Yeah. but that he had to carry it with him during the kind of, I suppose, terror of the early part of this pandemic where people were traveling through airports trying to get home, not really knowing what was going on. Mm -hmm. Very memorable. Yeah, that actually also sparked a memory for me. Again, this is not my story. This is something that I acquired. But I have a vase that, to be perfectly honest, I don't actually like very much. (laughs) But it's such a family heirloom now, and I was lucky enough to be the one to get it. So, of course, it has a very special place in my home. My great-grandmother 
In my family, the generations are very far apart. We all have kids very late. <laughs> so my dad had me late, his mom had him late. And so my great grandmother was actually alive and a young woman in the 1890s. And instead of getting married right away, as you would assume a young woman would do during that period, she went to Florence by herself as a single woman and she lived there for a year and she taught German there. I think this was 1894 or 1896. Anyway, she bought this glass vase that is etched with an image of a castle on it. She carried it on her lap I mean, she obviously packed it with her on her steamer ship that she would have taken back across the ocean. But she then took a train across. I think she was living in Chicago. So she took a train from wherever, New York to Chicago. The story is, the story that my father told me was that she carried that vase on her lap for the entire train ride because she was so afraid of breaking it. And it it passed to my grandmother, who was her daughter-in-law, And my grandmother eventually gave it to my dad. And he said, as soon as he got it, he was like, this is going to be Tiffany's. Because, of course, I'm the one who went back over. Right, right. You could return it to Florence if you really don't like it. (laughs) Nah, I'm not going to do that. How big is it? Um, It's probably about a a little over a foot tall, I would say. Mm, So hefty. Yeah. Yeah, it's not tiny. I can post a picture of it. But we would post this episode. Yes. Let me end by reaching over here and grabbing one thing since you brought that story up. Hang on. I want to show you something. <clears throat> okay, back on the mic. <laughs> since we're talking about great-grandmothers, this, I'll take a picture of this for the rest of you at home. But I was recently given these. These were picked up by my great-grandmother during the World's Fair in Chicago, 1893. Oh, that is... And it's a little handkerchief that's embroidered, says the date on it. Very frilly, and if you open it up here, I'll show you. Here is her name stitched in the corner of it. Oh my gosh, I love things like that. That is so Mary G. Wadsworth. How in the world? I know, and then this one is not quite as nice as that one is, but it's another handkerchief she picked up, a souvenir of exposition in St. Louis in 1904. Oh, and again. It has her name stitched in the corner. That is super cool. Yeah. Those kind of things really make you want to get souvenirs, especially that have to do with a particular event. Mm-hmm. I'm going to save this. And, you know, if, if everyone saves this, this is going to be really special one day. I know, but what do I do with it? I basically keep it in a box. You just keep it. You keep it in a box. You pass it down. That's what you do with heirlooms. Yes. Well, that's a whole question for another day because I am the keeper of much of my family's history. And I don't have any children. So I'm going to have to really think about how do I pass this stuff down and to whom. Oh, you're going to pass it down to your niece and nephew, Katie. Absolutely. You, you don't have a choice in that matter. Well, I mean, there are cousins and their descendants that might be interested in some of this stuff, too. So does your sister not have an opinion? I mean, she has not really expressed a ton of interest in having me pass it on to their family. OK, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But in general, the thought is that I'm the one that cares the most about the family history. Everybody wants these things held on to for safekeeping, but they might not necessarily want it in their home anymore. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they give it to me. Yeah. And I keep it. And I'm really glad. I really love having these objects around. So I'm glad I'm the person that's the default to give these things to. But it will open a question in the years 
down the road of what to do with these things. I guess you'll figure out who in the family has the same kind of passion that you have. Yes. And you'll leave it to them. Well, a big thanks to Michael for suggesting this souvenir show. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. Some of you I know were planning on sending in a souvenir, but never got it to me in time. So <laughs> I will be happy to take other souvenir stories and we can put together a mini episode if more of you want to share your stories. You can always email us at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media as well. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for the Bittersweet Life Podcast and follow us if you don't already. And you can also find a contact page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Yes. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Need more show? Bonus episodes are released every single month at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. For as little as $5 a month, you'll get to hear even more. You'll find a link in the show notes. And if you jump on board at the $50 level, you get to dictate what topic we cover. For example, one Patreon subscriber had us do an entire show on cuteness. Become the director for $50 a month and support the show you love at the same time. Thanks for listening. Tell all your friends and we'll talk to you next week.